It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Joey and I'm a sad Georgia Tech fan. He's Mike. He's a sad Virginia Tech fan. Mike, think I know the answer to this question. How are you, sir? Uh, this is the Basketball Conference podcast, and I am doing about as well as you'd expect after that performance by my Hokies last night. Um, I'd ask how you were doing, but your team just lost to Virginia. I know Charlottesville strikes again. The freaking Bermuda Triangle of Georgia Tech football. Uh, yeah, so this was a frustrating weekend, Mike, not, you know, not for any, uh, you know, well, for more reasons, certainly than just that, but, uh, yeah, we gotta, we gotta recap week 10 here. I think this is going to be a little bit of a uh, hungover sounding show for, you know, maybe literal and less than literal reasons. Um, we are here early on Sunday, kind of going through these games, uh, trying to sort out what the hell happened in Week 10. This was very, very different than I think what you and I were expecting from the week, Mike. And I think that's reflected in uh, our picks for the week, where I was 1-4 and four against the spread and you were 2-3. Uh, and three. We nailed it, Joey. We nailed it. We Yeah, we nailed it. We nailed it. Um, but anyways, Mike, let's start with the, the 8 p.m. ABC game that featured your Virginia Tech Hokies. Uh, as the number 10 Miami Hurricanes 28, number 13 Virginia Tech 10, uh, Mike, this was a game that I, I thought that the, the big way that I would sum this up is that this is not a memo specifically about one team or the other. Um, I thought this is a little bit of a memo about both teams. Um, this was the most complete game that Miami's played all year, the best game they've played all year for sure. I thought Josh Parcell put it really well on Twitter this morning saying that if the various games on Miami's schedule were a report card. They have a whole bunch of C's and D's and one A+. And last night was the A+. Um, the offense was producing big plays. The defense was stifling from the beginning. Um, and overall, this was the most complete game we've seen Miami play. Virginia Tech, on the other hand, maybe not quite as good as we were trying to give them credit for. Um, they had a lot of issues, really particularly on offense, getting the ball moving and then uh, – some of those good plays for Miami turned into great plays because of some defensive issues on tackling and uh, some coverage breakdowns and various issues that they had. Mike, you're you're the Virginia Tech analyst here on the program. What did you what did you take away from this game last night as the the Hokies go down in Miami? Uh, well, we can start with the fact that you know we kind of implored Miami to play well in a big spot, and they did it. Uh, to your point about Josh Parcell's tweet, you know, C's and D's and, you know, they had the 1A+. Plus. Uh, it's a perfect analogy because C's get degrees, and Miami was just scraping by all year against opponents that they probably should have blown out. And then in the biggest spot of the year for them, they came up with their most complete game. Uh, Virginia Tech was the biggest game of the year for Miami. 
there was the Florida State game that could have been pretty big, the Georgia Tech game that we thought was big, and then the Virginia Tech game that maybe two weeks from now will also be one of those games that you know we thought was a lot bigger than it actually was. But to Miami's credit, you know Virginia Tech enters the game 13th in the country. It's clear that Virginia Tech's a top 25 team. Uh, but what Miami was able to do last night to Virginia Tech really showed me how far away the Hokies are to competing talent-wise with some of the top teams in the ACC. Um, it was a very different game from a year ago where Virginia Tech stifled Miami for four quarters. Obviously not the same Miami team, not the same Virginia Tech team. Uh, I wasn't sure how good Miami was coming into the game, and they proved that they're good, and they're good in a big spot, which we hadn't given them credit for all year because they hadn't really played up to the standard that we thought they should be playing to, given the talent that they had on the field. Well, consider that over. Um, Miami proved to me last night that they're a top 10 team, so that was the first time all year I looked at Miami, I said, yep, right there, that's a top 10 team. Um stifling defense they forced Josh Jackson into a couple bad decisions throwing the football um, they forced a couple fumbles that were huge specifically the one late in the half when Virginia Tech was going in to score with an opportunity to make it a 14 to 10 game going into halftime uh, you know I thought that was a huge turnover for the Hurricanes defense and they've been very very good at forcing those turnovers this year Offensively, they're reliant upon big plays. Obviously, the reception by Chris Herndon for the touchdown, the long touchdown run by Travis Homer, the touchdown run by Malik Rozier was a big play as well. The Hurricanes have been reliant upon big plays this year. That's been their offense. You take the good with the bad if you're a Hurricanes fan because offensively, they're still not as consistent as you'd like. But, you know, I think Miami fans understand that without Mark Walton, this team is going to be pretty imperfect on the offensive side of the ball. You're just going to have to figure out with, you know, the team that they have that's remaining and the players that are healthy, even with Amon Richards, their best receiver, at less than 100%. You know, you have to realize that Miami is going to be able to hit on big plays just because their athletes are better than yours. And that's what happened last night, I thought, for the most part. Uh, Virginia Tech, defensively, I thought did a pretty decent job, except for the fact that they had a lot of trouble tackling. Uh, like you mentioned, Joey, good plays turned into great plays for Miami because Virginia Tech couldn't tackle, and I thought that was huge. Um, it, it was a big difference in the football game. Uh, the conservative play calling by Virginia Tech came back to haunt them because I thought Miami's defense was really getting after them all night long. It was clear that they were going to bring the heat um, and blitz Josh Jackson. I think that was the right decision because I think up front, Miami's front seven just completely overwhelmed the Virginia Tech offensive line, and that was pretty apparent. But other than that, Joey, um, there's not much more I have to say about this game. I thought Miami was the much better team. I thought they played better. They were more consistent. And Virginia Tech simply couldn't take advantage of the mistakes that Miami committed offensively. The interceptions by Rozier... Um, you know, Virginia Tech was able to stop Miami on fourth down in the first quarter right at the goal line. I thought that was a big play. But, you know, the Hokies offense is just not good enough right now to take advantage. And a lot of that's due to youth. Uh, the one other thing I'll mention, Joey, before I turn it back over to you, is that I was looking at some of the Virginia Tech message boards this morning, which showcases the best and the worst of the fan base. Um, and this morning, the a lot of Virginia Tech fans are talking about, you know, this has to be, you know, a referendum on the Virginia Tech offense and, 
you know, maybe we should consider a quarterback change with Josh Jackson, which I think is completely absurd. Um, you play a tough game against a good defense, and now it's time to switch quarterbacks. Uh, gives you an idea of where the fan base, you know, some some members of the fan base's head is at this morning. It's just very disappointing, and you know, we'll find out how good Virginia Tech is the rest of the year. Just like we'll figure, we'll continue to try to figure out how good Miami is. I mean, Miami is obviously a top ten team. They're going to have a big big game next weekend. I mean, big's an understatement. It's one of the biggest games Miami's had in a long long time against Notre Dame, and. You know, the Hurricanes went out there in obviously great position to go to a college football playoff. And I think if they play like they did last night and they're able to clean up some of the turnovers and some of the bad penalties, I think the Hurricanes are going to be in an excellent spot if they're able to get into the college football playoff just because you know they have the athletes to compete. So if you're a Hurricanes fan, you're extremely happy with the performance. It was a dominant performance. I think that's the word, uh, you know, to put it simply. It was just very dominant for four quarters. For the first time this year, really, it's been that dominant of a performance by the Hurricanes defense. And, you know, there's some stuff to clean up for Miami, but I think you have to be really happy with how they played. And for Virginia Tech, uh, fans need to be patient. You know, this is a young offense. This is a still a very, very good defense that I thought played well for the most part last night. They just, uh, the tackling was an issue, and that cropped up for the first time this year. But the way I look at it is if you can't tackle against Miami or Clemson, then uh, you know, how can you really evaluate the defense when they're playing against ODU and Delaware and Duke and UNC? So, you know, Virginia Tech's going to have to try to turn this thing back in the right direction and win the remaining games on their schedule. But I, I think on the national scale, a lot of people are going to look at Virginia Tech and say, you know what, that's a team that can beat the teams they're supposed to beat. When, but when they get in a big spot against, you know, one of the top 10 or 15 teams in the country, we're not really sure how good this team really is. So that's the one big takeaway. I think nationally, Virginia Tech now has the perception of being a bit overrated. And now I think Miami has justified their ranking and they're going to be in the top 10 um, in the college football playoff poll. They were coming in at number 10 last week, but I think they're probably a top six or seven team now in the poll. And they're in a great position to make the playoff if they continue to play like they did last night. Mike, you talked about how Miami was very reliant on big plays and, I think there's a the thing that I look at to to illustrate this. Miami had 12 legit drives in this game. Take away the two little end of half, you know, kneel down kind of whatever drives. Of the 12 legit drives that they had, eight of them were five plays or less, and not all of those were bad. I mean, they had multiple touchdown drives. They had touchdown drives of three plays, three plays, and two plays. Um, or excuse me, two, two, and three. So, I mean, Miami's kind of going with this mindset of almost get your offense off the field as quickly as possible. They had multiple turnovers in those short drives. They had multiple touchdowns in those short drives. So it's either get me a big play and get on the scoreboard or get off the field and put the defense back out there, which is kind of backwards of what Georgia Tech is trying to do at certain times in their history. But um, I think you said it all. Uh, Miami was good in, in enough instances here, at least. Uh, I was not impressed with Malik Rozier. Under 50% passing and through three picks. You know, he I did not think he was very sharp in this game. Um, Travis Homer, in a lot of cases, was not very good here. He, he had a 64-yard touchdown run, and other than that, 13 carries for 31 yards. Um, you know, that's your, that's your bell cow back. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think Miami made a statement here. This is, again, this is the most complete game that they've played all year. They were very dominant against what I would call a, a good Virginia Tech team. You know, not great, but good. 
um, and, and they come away big winners. And I think they've finally really proven themselves that, yes, they are capable of uh, performing at this level for a full four quarters and, and making some noise here in the national stage. But, again, they have a huge game against Notre Dame next week. That'll be the biggest game that they've played in a long time. They're getting college game day, that whole treatment and the whole thing. Uh, so we'll see. They're, they're going to have to come back and play uh, a team, I think, in Notre Dame that is significantly better than Virginia Tech. And uh, we'll see because whoever wins that game, I think you consider them a legit playoff contender at this point. Um, but time will tell. Miami 28, Virginia Tech 10. Mike, let's move on. Number four, Clemson 38, NC State 31. And i got to say, Mike, Clemson kind of survived in this game. Um, Clemson was down at halftime 21-17. Uh, and they came out after the half and really were able to uh, kind of reduce any doubt. Um, they, they scored twice in the third quarter, including once at the very last play of the third quarter, an 89-yard run by Tevi and Feaster. Um, NC State gave them all that they could handle in this game, and this is the second year in a row that they have. Um, they this was a, a strong performance, I thought, from both teams. You know, it's just that Clemson's a little bit better, and – I mean, what can you do? Uh, NC State has multiple 100-yard receivers um, in uh, Jacoby Myers and Kelvin Harmon. Uh, I thought Ryan Finley had a fairly good day. He had a couple of picks, but, you know, 31 of 50 for 338 and three touchdowns is not bad. Um, overall, Mike, I, you know, Clemson's solid, and, and they're going to win the, the Atlantic division now, barring any other screw-ups that, you know, could potentially come their way. But, uh, at the end of the day, I, I thought it was a solid performance by both teams. This is one of those that just because one team lost doesn't mean I think less of them. Um, I think NC State really went toe-to-toe with Clemson here. It was pretty impressive in general, and they just weren't able to eke out the win. I don't know. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Uh, my one takeaway from this game was the fact that for a second week in a row, NC State had a lot of trouble stopping the run. Um, I think mm-hmm. NC State entered the Notre Dame game sixth in the country in rushing defense. Uh, they gave up over 200 yards rushing to Josh Adams, which is, you know, nothing to really cry about. I mean, Notre Dame's rushing attack is one of the best in college football, but they had similar issues on Saturday. I think it ended up being the difference in the football game, ultimately. I mean, Feaster got loose, seven carries, 105 yards. I mean, he's averaging 15 yards a carry, right? And he had that 89-yard touchdown run to inflate his stats. But Kelly Bryant, 20 carries, 88 yards, and two scores um, as a whole. Clemson rushed the ball 35 times for 224 yards. So you can talk about the big plays impacting, you know, NC State's defense and say, well, they did an okay job. I mean, that's fine, but the stats bear out the fact that you gave up 6.4 yards per carry and three touchdowns on the ground, which isn't great. Um, I I thought Kelly Bryant specifically had a couple of big-time runs that extended drives. I thought that was really important in this football game for Clemson. Um, And then you jump out to the lead there in the third quarter. They started playing better defense in the second half. They made a couple of adjustments. They were able to contain the NC State rushing attack a little better than they were in the first half. Um, obviously, it was pretty clear Naheem Hines wasn't 100%. He only had eight carries for 34 yards. He was listed as probable to play, but he hadn't practiced all week as far as being hit. Um, he was a non-contact participant in practice all week, so you know time really had to tell uh, whether or not he was going to have a major impact in this game, and obviously he was less than 100%, but... You know, NC State struggled running the ball again, um, and, I, you know, I thought Clemson did a pretty nice job shutting that down. They forced Ryan Finley into a couple of mistakes. I thought Finley was good for the most part, but Clemson made enough plays on defense when it mattered in this game. 
Um, obviously, the punt return towards the back end. I believe it was late first quarter, early second. Let me let me double check that real quick. That was um, that was in the first quarter still when Ray Ray McLeod took the punt back 77 yards for a touchdown. It was one of the most electric plays of the year I've seen on special teams. Um, danced around quite a bit, was able to shake loose, and I thought that was a huge score in the football game for Clemson because NC State had a lot of momentum in the game and they were moving the ball pretty well. Clemson got a couple stops and then McLeod was able to score on special teams and that that touchdown ended up being the difference in the football game yesterday. So, you know, Clemson overall is just a little bit better coached. I still think NC State has obviously a really good football team. I think they're really missing Naheem Hines not being 100%. He might have been the difference yesterday if they were able to get a little bit more of a run game going against, uh, against Clemson. But, you know, overall, just a good win for Clemson. Survive in advance on the road. That's obviously a very difficult place to play there. Uh, Carter Finley so uh, good for Clemson to get their win and kind of survive in advance and keep the thing rolling um, obviously now in the driver's seat in the Atlantic division after yesterday's victory and of course Miami's in the driver's seat in the coastal I'm not sure if we mentioned that but you know both of those teams look like they're on a collision course to to meet in the ACC championship in December but uh, a very strong showing by Clemson yesterday specifically in the second half they did what they needed to do to get the get the job done and sometimes you know, you got to win tough games and credit NC State for coming out, not rolling over, especially after getting blown out by Notre Dame two weeks ago, or I guess last Saturday. Mike, I mentioned that I thought Clemson basically just survived in this game. Clemson didn't have a lead in this game until late in the third quarter. Uh, they NC State led or they were tied basically the entire way uh, for almost three full quarters of this game. And then it was in the third quarter, Mike, that I think is where I would say Clemson probably won this game. Uh, so Clemson had a nine-play, nine 49-yard touchdown drive where they took their first lead, made it 24-21. Next play that uh, their offense is on the field is that 89-yard Tavian Feaster touchdown run uh, to, get, to put them up 10 points. Meanwhile, in the third quarter, Mike, NC State's offense had four drives. They went five plays, 10 yards, six, three plays, four yards, three plays, zero yards, six plays, 34 yards. Punt, 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 punt. Um, and... Leaving their defense out there while Clemson started to get some traction on offense, I think, is where where this thing really turned. Um, and, and NC State was able to catch up a little bit and make it close. They scored a touchdown after the Feaster touchdown to make it 31-28. Uh, scored another touchdown late, I, I guess, to make – or uh, kicked a field goal to pull it within seven. Um, but ultimately, they were not able to get over the top. And I think this is probably just where Clemson was able to outlast NC State. Uh, they've just got so much depth, and, and they were ready to play and, and made it happen. Um, again, I don't think this is just because NC State lost that this is a bad thing or, or it says bad things about them as a team. I, I'm more impressed that they were able to hang with them as well as they were. Clemson is, again, your defending national champs and, and trying to get back there and actually defend that title in the playoff this year, and they've – I mean, they've got the path to do it. At this point, they are just about done with ACC play. Their, their game next week at home against Florida State is it. Um, they should be going to Charlotte and, and representing the Atlantic Division, and I think that they're going to be uh, – I think they're going to be in good position to make the playoff again if they can keep winning. Um, so just a strong performance from both teams here, and I, I think you know, got to hand it to Clemson and Dabo Swinney for what they've built because that is an, uh, a pretty strong win in a pretty hostile environment here, Mike. I think for Clemson moving forward, obviously the idea is to keep winning, right? Your margin for error is ex essentially zero, especially um, given Syracuse's loss to Florida State yesterday, which we'll get into here in a few minutes. 
So Clemson just needs to keep winning, keep being convincing in your victories. Obviously, the committee is going to give Clemson a little bit of a break because Kelly Bryant was injured in that Syracuse game. But regardless, Clemson didn't play their best game there anyway. And they got to play well the rest of the year to prove that they kind of belong there. Um, and they're going to have to look convincing in the Florida State game, obviously, and look like they're the much, much better team. And, you know, I think if Clemson continues to win and do so convincingly and continue to play well, Kelly Bryant continues to get healthy. And, you know, if the defense is able to play the way that they've played all year, I mean, the Tigers are absolutely going to be in strong position come college football playoff time. Um, they're going to have a showdown in the ACC championship, though, if Miami plays like they did last night, that's for sure. Mike, I, I guess we should move on, um, unless you are got anything else. Uh, no, I'm I'm good. Um, I'm worried about your mental state here moving on to our next game, though. Hmm. Yeah, not great. Virginia 40, Georgia Tech 36. Oof. Um, Oof. Yeah. yeah, Oof is right. This is... Mike, this was extremely frustrating. Um, this whole season has started to get really, really frustrating for Georgia Tech fans in general, I think. Um, this is their fourth loss on the year. They, they fall to 4-4, four and four, and three of those losses have come by a combined six points. Um, all of those games, games where they had a fourth-quarter lead, uh, not ideal. This, this game, Mike, I, I told people that Georgia Tech lost this on special teams. So basically what happened... Virginia runs back the opening kickoff 57 yards to the 34. They got one first down, kick a field goal. So effectively, your opening kickoff puts you in field goal range and gets you three points. They ran a kickoff back for a touchdown later in the first half. And then in the, uh, in the second half, there was a play where uh, Virginia punted. Brad Stewart, the wide receiver for Georgia Tech, supposed to be back there catching the punt, does not catch it, and it rolls down to about the two-yard line. Next play, there's a a forced fumble, and Georgia Tech falls under the end zone for a safety. Um, Virginia earned themselves 12 points in this game on special teams in a game where they won by four. Um, So Georgia Tech lost it that way. Um, The play calling for Georgia Tech was really strange here. I I would say it was kind of strange for Virginia, too. But Georgia Tech was hell-bent on throwing the ball. And, and on some level, it made sense because Virginia's defense was stacking the box, uh, trying to disrupt the run. That part was working. The problem was that Georgia Tech was trying to throw over them, which is probably the right strategy, but it was just a mess trying to make it happen. Taquan Marshall throws his first two interceptions of the season, one of them on a, a ball that was badly underthrown. And if it was thrown on target, it's probably a touchdown. Um, they just they were not having success in the passing game as Marshall ends up six for twenty two for one hundred and seventy nine yards. Um, this was frustrating, Mike. This was really frustrating. This is a game that Georgia Tech again should have won, and they didn't. And I don't know who pays the price or you know where the accountability lies on any of this stuff, but it just sort of continues to happen with the Yellow Jackets this season, and it's been that kind of season, and it's it's really starting to get old, man. Like I'm really getting tired of this. So I texted you approximately five minutes after the game went final with the following text. So, do you want to talk about it? And you responded with embarrassing. And then Mm -hmm. later on you responded, of course, with, you know, your actual thoughts on it, which we'll get into now. Um, Yeah, the special team's an obvious issue for Georgia Tech in this game. The turnovers by Taquan Marshall, an obvious issue in this game. Play calling, as you mentioned. Virginia found a way to carve out 40 points. I know they were gifted a few of those just due to various special team gaps, but 
more importantly, Joey, Virginia's bowl eligible. Oh, God, Virgi- they are. We're living in a world where the Virginia Cavaliers have found a way to become bowl eligible. And this was just a weird game in and of itself. So to come out with a four-point win kind of is what it is. Um, I want to talk for a second about the fact that the Cavaliers were 2-10 and ten last year. Virginia gets out to that, what was it, 5-1 and one start. And they're all all of a sudden sputtering, right? They were five and two, then five and three, and we're looking at the remaining four games. Like, where is this win going to come for Virginia to reach bowl eligibility? It came in the Georgia Tech game. Virginia is now going Ugh. bowling for the first time since 2011, and I don't know if I'm ready to live in a world where Virginia is all of a sudden doing competent things both up front, offensively and defensively. Um, I thought Virginia's offensive line did a pretty solid job against the Georgia Tech defensive front yesterday. Um, Likewise, I thought Virginia's defensive line in the front seven did a pretty nice job against Georgia Tech's offensive line. I thought, um, as you alluded to, uh, Virginia was stacking the box and kind of forcing Georgia Tech to throw it. Um, I mean, that's the way to beat Georgia Tech if you can stop the run. Um, I don't know if it was more of like Virginia... actually stopping the run or Georgia Tech being afraid to run it on Virginia Tech's front seven. Either way, I agree with you. I thought the play calling was very strange for Georgia Tech. Um, I think Georgia Tech kind of played a little bit intimidated, especially in the first half. I thought they got a little bit more aggressive with things in the second half. But general feel with this football game is that Virginia, to a degree, kind of played the way that they wanted to play and played their style of football. And I think that really ended up impacting Georgia Tech in the end. Um, Virginia was the team yesterday that really exerted their will on the football game, and that's why they ended up coming out on the right side of the score. And Virginia is now at six wins. I don't know if they'll get another win uh, before their bowl game, but they're at six wins. They're going to a bowl game. Bronco Mendenhall is in serious contention with Mark Richt and or Dino Babers and or Dabo Swinney for ACC Coach of the Year. Uh, Should be a fun, you know, four-horse race going into the final leg of the season here. But props to Bronco Mendenhall and his staff. An excellent job, obviously, not only on the recruiting trail, but also coaching the guys that they had and getting them to believe that they were a better team than they showed last year. You know, Virginia was 2-10 and ten last year. They, lot of a, they lost a lot of close games that I thought they p- probably had a pretty good chance of winning last year. And now they've kind of flipped the switch and they've turned it around and they're winning those close games this year, and that's a difference in their record. So good for them to get to six wins and have an opportunity now in a bowl game. And, you know, we'll kind of see. But this is just a very strong building block, I think, for Virginia. And as far as Georgia Tech's concerned, I have no idea what they are. Like, I still think they're a pretty good team. Obviously, they play Virginia Tech next Saturday in a game – that's now a nooner, of course, since both teams lost yesterday. So you and I will you know, be groggy watching that next Saturday afternoon. But I don't know what Georgia Tech is. I still think they can beat Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't know what Virginia Tech is. I'm, I still think they can beat Georgia Tech. So that's kind of where I'm at with that game. We'll see where Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech go from here. But really, I'm excited to see how Virginia plays down the stretch because they have some tougher opponents here, and I'd like to see if they're able to – you know, be competitive in some of these remaining games that they have and maybe steal a game or two or at least be, you know, in the conversation here late in these final three games here on the season. Worth mentioning here, Mike, Georgia Tech's defense was without Brant Mitchell, A.J. Gray, and I believe Step Durham. So they were missing three starters for injury in this game. Um, The offensive line 
I mentioned in the preview, the offensive line was back to healthy. They, I think they had a full deck of cards at this point, and somehow they continued to get abused by Virginia's front. Um, they had no answer for Andrew Brown this entire game. Uh, Micah Kaiser leads the team, comes away with 18 tackles in this game. Um, I don't know. This is frustrating, Mike. This is a game that I think Georgia Tech could have gotten it done in, but they kind of found new and interesting ways to lose it. Um, Kurt Benkert, if you look at his stat line, he was not very good in this game, 21 of 43. Um, now he had 263 touchdowns and a pick, but worth mentioning. So I, I mentioned that I thought Virginia's play calling was a little weird too. A lot of this game was being played in, you guessed it, in the rain, and they insisted on passing the ball significantly. Virginia probably dropped close to 10 passes in this game, Mike. Um, the ball was sliding through receivers' hands left and right. There was a uh, portion there the first quarter or so where, I mean, it was like an automatic – the ball would come out of Ben Kurt's hands and go right through the hands of their receiver. Um, it was it, it was not effective, and they, they stuck with it for the most part. Now, it got better as the game went on, uh, uh, but, you know – I don't know. This is this is very very frustrating um, to to deal with as a Georgia Tech fan. Again, like I, I don't know what this team is. I think that they're good. I think they lack maybe they lack a killer instinct of some sort. Um, you know, I don't know. A team that is almost there and just can't really get over the top is maybe one of the worst things you can ask for. Um, it they get so close and and you really start to believe that they can get it done and then. Uh, that's when they break your heart, Mike. I don't, they, I don't know. They keep losing close ones. I think that's really what it boils down to. And like you said, nothing more frustrating than that. Oh, yeah. unless you're a Virginia Tech fan, you're getting blown out every time you play a good team because that gets annoying too. I'd almost kind of prefer that. Now, the problem is that Virginia Tech, you thought might win that game outright, and then they got blown out, which is where it gets frustrating. Yeah, My, I, I actually I think, thought I yeah. actually thought like Virginia Tech had an opportunity to actually blow Miami out versus the other way around. I thought Miami would win just – given the fact that Miami had played a lot of competitive games against like bad, average to pretty bad teams, I mm-hmm. thought Virginia Tech would actually either blow Miami out or Miami would win a close game. I didn't think Miami would actually blow Virginia Tech out, just given the way they had played in prior weeks. I mean, they had won their prior four games by like eight points or less, and that's, yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, to your point, that, that's what was the most frustrating thing. It's that Virginia Tech just absolutely laid an egg yesterday. Yeah, I know what that's like. Mike, let's move on. Number three, Notre Dame 48, Wake Forest 37. Uh, I was impressed with how close Wake Forest kept this game, and I think that it's fair to say that this is some garbage time scoring here. Um, at one point early in the third quarter, Notre Dame had a 34-10 to lead, and later on they had a 41-16 to lead. Wake Forest got some garbage time scoring done. Uh, three touchdowns in the final 16 minutes of the game to make it 48-37. So, I mean, worth worth noting, and, and impressive top to bottom, I thought that Wake Forest came away with almost 600 yards of offense in this game. Very impressive. Um, but I don't. I think what we're going to agree on is that the, the final score is not indicative of how close this game was not. Um, this was a pretty comfortable win for Notre Dame from the start. Um, they... They were pretty dominant throughout this contest, and um, I think it speaks to what Notre Dame is right now, that they were just not threatened at all by Wake Forest here. Yeah, uh, not a ton to say about this game. Uh, Notre Dame really just put the thing on cruise control. Um, Josh Adams had five carries for 22 yards. He left the game because he was being evaluated for a concussion. 
Uh, Brandon Wimbush had a long run at the end of the first half to set Notre Dame up with first and goal. Um, what you know, injured his hand on that play, had some x-rays taken on his left hand. Uh, x-rays came back negative. Wimbush came back into the game in the second half. Uh, by the way, on that late run in the first half, Notre Dame eventually scored. Ian Book came in, the backup quarterback, threw a touchdown pass. Um, Wimbush came back in the third quarter, played a couple drives, and then they just pulled him because they were up by so much. It was, I, I think at the time they pulled him, it was 34-10. to 10. Uh, pulled him out, put Ian Book in, um, didn't mess around with Josh Adams. Uh, Adams had his helmet on on the sideline, which usually isn't indicative that a player has a concussion because usually when a player has a concussion, they'll take his helmet away and make sure that he you know, doesn't try to get back in the game. Uh, I think Adams was held out more for precautionary reasons, but I guess we'll learn more as the, as the uh, week goes on here as they prep for Miami. But, yeah, pretty impressive win for Notre Dame. They put the thing on cruise control. Defensively, I thought they were pretty solid when the first team was in. Second team defense came in. Uh, Wake Forest had a couple of garbage time touchdowns there late uh, while the Irish were playing a few, you know, some of their second stringers. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not really coming away from this game like, looking at Wake Forest any differently. I mean, I think Wake Forest is absolutely heading in the right direction. I thought they hung around decently at the beginning portion of the football game, and then Notre Dame just ended up making some plays. They had an interception that set up a score. Obviously, the score late in the half with Brandon Wimbush was huge. Uh, But, you know, we're going to have to see, you know, what happens with Wake moving forward. They're a far more um, interesting case study here moving throughout the rest of the year. They're sitting at 5-4. and They'll have an opportunity to make a bowl game. Still, um, I think Dave Clawson has the thing moving in the right direction, obviously. And for Notre Dame, you know, you're able to rest a lot of your pertinent players there in the second half, which I think is really important because you got a massive, massive matchup on the road next weekend against Miami. Yeah, impressive showing from both these teams, really. Um, I thought John Walford was pretty impressive in this game, 28 of 45 for 331, two touchdowns and a pick. That's a pretty in- intimidating environment for a new quarterback to go into, and uh, for him to come out, you know, having a pretty good game through the air, I thought was pretty impressive. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's just a really, really solid team. Um, and, and we mentioned that they've got a huge matchup against uh, Miami next week. So we will uh, we will see if they can keep that rolling and, and retain their position at the top of the college football playoff rankings. Um, but, yeah, Mike, I think you said it all. I think you pretty much hit it all. Um, Josh Adams, again, had a bit of a – concussion scare we don't know that he necessarily had one but they did not put him back in the game and so that showed us even that Notre Dame has different ways to win games than just leaning on Josh Jackson uh Brandon Wimbush 12 carries for 110 yards and two touchdowns is uh pretty solid from your quarterback so uh that's good to see that evolution from Notre Dame and what they are this year but Notre Dame 48 Wake Forest 37 Mike let's move on last game the Seminoles Got it done, Mike. They got it done. They're uh, winners 27-24 over Syracuse. They still have not covered a spread this I year. was going to say, still have not covered a spread. They were five-point favorites, and you just you had to think that they were going to cover that, and they did not. This is the only pick that either of us got right this week, and even then I was wrong saying that Syracuse is going to win outright, but uh, or I guess we were both wrong saying that. But at the very least, the Orange cover the spread here, uh, make it a game here at the end. Um, Cam Akers led the way for Florida State. He was a monster in this game. 22 carries for almost two, like for 199 and two touchdowns. I was going to say he went for 200 yards, but he was uh, about three feet short of that. Uh, future ACC Player of the Year Eric Dungy put on a pretty good show here too. 24-43 uh, for 278, two touchdowns and a pick, and then 22 carries for 109 yards and a touchdown on the ground. 
This is the Eric Dungy show, Mike, is the Syracuse offense, except for a portion yesterday where we saw everybody's favorite Disney's recess character, Zach Mahoney, playing quarterback for the Orange. Yeah. Uh, we, had a, we had a Zach Mahoney sighting yesterday in this game. Uh, he goes 7-12 for 36 yards, and so that was all right. Um, but, Mike, I, I, what do, you, do we take anything from this? Is there anything um, to learn about either of these teams from this game? Uh, not real. We didn't really learn anything, but uh, Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips for Syracuse each had 12 catches. Ishmael, 12 catches, 143, and a touchdown. Phillips, 12 for 107. Mm-hmm. He did not get in the end zone, but, uh, yeah, those are the two Syracuse receivers, so you make sure you cover them, and then after that, just try to get after uh, Eric Dungy as much as you can because Eric Dungy is basically turning into the Lamar Jackson, like, very bad Atlantic team that's like well I won't I won't want to say very bad um, they're four and five they're basically a 500 team a, a decent to bad Atlantic team that's fully reliant on their quarterback to make all the plays for them on offense but he's got a talented group of receivers as well they continues to throw to so um, now I got a lot of questions about Florida State's defense they gave up 300 and what was it 314 yards through the air 149 on the ground not a great showing by the Florida State defense, but they ultimately made enough plays to get the job done. Of course, Syracuse missed a field goal that would have tied the game late. But, yeah, don't really understand either of these, these two teams in the Atlantic Division. Um, don't know really what either one of them is playing for. They're trying to get to bowl eligibility. Still going to be an uphill climb for both teams. Syracuse needs two more wins. Uh, Florida State needs three. So we'll have to see how each team fares down the stretch. Schedule isn't all that favorable for either one of those teams to make that happen, but we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if Florida State can salvage a bowl game. Um, I, I don't have high expectations at this point, but I don't know. We'll see, Mike. I We were talking before we came on here, and I'll, I'll just throw this in here at the end, is that I, like, I mentioned that I'm frustrated with Georgia Tech's season, but I'm also kind of frustrated just in general with this college football season, and I think this is where I, I start to get too fixated on trying to be right. Um, any of these teams is turning into such a variable quantity on a week-to-week basis that it's almost kind of a worthless exercise right now to try to figure out who's better than who. Um, I, we were both fully convinced that Georgia Tech was going to cover 10 and beat Virginia, you know, beat the tar out of them, and they didn't. Um, you know, we were convinced that Virginia Tech was going to show Miami what's what, and they didn't. Uh, we thought that Florida State was packing it up and was going to quit against Syracuse, and they didn't. Like, and and I don't think that this is us having a bad pulse on the ACC. You know, like it's not that we're not paying attention or that we're not doing our research. It's that nobody is really operating with a whole lot of consistency right now, um, top to bottom within the conference. Uh, maybe you could say Clemson is, but even then, they're only two games removed from a loss to Syracuse on the road. Um, I don't know. This is this is all very frustrating for me, Mike, trying to keep track and, and trying to predict who's good and who's not. Um, maybe all that to say that those people who are listening to our uh, our picks against the spread from here on out, you know, proceed with caution because uh, there's just a lot of a lot of volatility right now across the country as a lot of these teams are, are uh, trying to figure out who's good and who's not. Um, Bill Conley in particular has talked about this and how it's reflected in the S&P Plus is um, – the variation between, you know, like the maybe the fifth best team and the 25th best team is basically nothing compared to what it was last year, where there was a pretty clear elite class. Um, you know, th- th- this year is, we keep talking about, again, the 2007 throwback. 
This is the most uh, bizarre year in college football since 2007, I think it's fair to say. And I think this is a year where we're really going to appreciate having a playoff where you're getting four teams in rather than just two. Um, and, and where getting eight teams in would even be an ideal scenario uh, just because there, there's going to be a lack of undefeated and one-loss teams. Um, th- there's a lot of teams with like two losses that have a pretty good stake to being in the playoff anyways. Um, and, and this is just this is a very strange year for college football. You're seeing it across other conferences too, so uh, it's really not just the ACC here. I think that's completely fair. Um, I think that there are a lot of one and two lost teams that have great arguments to be in the field. There are even some undefeated teams that you look at and wonder, what are you? Um, no, Miami fans, I'm not talking about you, so chill out. I'm talking <laughs> about Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin, unfortunately, plays in the lesser of the two divisions in the Big Ten. Can't help who you schedule in conference play, obviously, but Wisconsin has been winning all their games, which is what you're supposed to do. Ohio State falls yesterday. Ohio State is the likely team that will play against, um, at least at this point, who knows, but it's a team that will likely play against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship. And if Wisconsin hands Ohio State their third loss in the Big Ten title game and goes undefeated with their best win being against three-loss Ohio State, does Wisconsin get in the field? Um, Now it's not as clear, at least as we're sitting a month out, as maybe it was prior to the weekend when we thought Ohio State would handle Iowa. The opposite actually happened. Iowa handled Ohio State, and now I don't know what to think of the Big Ten. So that's where we're at right now. And, you know, a lot of these things kind of, you know, sort themselves out here over the next month. And November is going to be weird. Teams are going to continue to lose, and we're going to get a clearer and clearer picture. And it'll come down to five or six teams for four spots in the ideal world. And one will have a better argument over another, or two will have a better argument over the other two. And we'll just kind of see what happens. But. It should be really exciting. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm going to quit trying to understand what's going on. I try to give the best analysis I can with this podcast, but every piece of analysis I seem to give, it seems to just happen complete, completely the opposite. I know I'm not that big of an idiot, so I think mm-hmm. it's just kind of the year that we're dealing with here in the ACC, and really not only the ACC like you mentioned, but across the rest of college football too. Mike, who's definitively good in the ACC? Clemson, NC State, Miami. Yeah, and I think I would put a I'd put a, a disclaimer on Miami that it's maybe Miami because they've given us one really good showing now and a whole bunch of uh, somewhat lackluster showings. Maybe you would say. I think I agree. You get past those three teams, and what you get from any team on any given week. I mean, who knows? Well, even with Michael, Miami, even with Miami, I mean. Uh, what are we going to get from them on a weekly basis? I mean, that was the first uh, – we're in the first weekend of November. That was the first complete performance we've seen out of the Hurricanes all year long. It was the most important time to do it. It was their biggest game of the year. So give credit where credit's due. But they got to start doing this on a consistent basis because now we see how good Miami can be when they're clicking on all cylinders. Yeah. Well, Mike, there's an, like another team that I look at is like Pittsburgh, right? Like we talked about for the entire first half of the season how embarrassingly bad Pittsburgh was at running the ball. And then two weeks in a row, including one against Virginia, they sit there and just go off for, like, well over 200 rushing yards. Like, out of nowhere, they went from totally in a, you know total inability to run the ball all the way to dominant running at- rushing attack. Like, this is just the kind of crazy variance that we're seeing in the conference and I think across the country right now that is making the whole thing kind of a mess. So, uh, you know, 
careful with your careful with your money. I would say as we move forward here, because you're uh, you're taking on a lot of a lot more risk than normal. I think there, this is a lot less of a calculated thing than than really it ever has been in, in my recent memory. Uh, Mike, we got two more things we got to do before we get out of here. First of all, the Go ACC moment of the week, and we've had some unusual Go ACC moments of the week so far, which you know I don't know how many of them are usual, but. Uh, this one in particular is is a little bit abnormal. This happened during the Florida State Syracuse game, and w- did you want to talk about kind of what happened here? Yeah. So Florida State Syracuse they played at noon. I understand if not many of you were watching, uh, Penn State Michigan State was on. So I know a lot of you are Florida State fans. We do have some Syracuse fans that listen to us as well, but some of us I'm sure were a little bit more consumed by Penn State Michigan State and other games that were on in that hour. But Florida State played Syracuse. They were going into the half. There was about, I don't know, two, two and a half minutes left in the first half. And Raycom Sports was carrying the game for the ACC network. And as you know, Joey, a lot of these networks, what they'll do before the half is kind of give you a preview of what's coming up on the halftime show. And then this happened. Let's check in with Katie and Charlotte, see what's coming up at halftime. Well, coming up on our PNC Investments halftime, we're going to report, we're going to take a look at those two big ACC matchups, starting with NC State Clemson, Dan. Listen, if you like quarterback play, this game has two of the best young newcomers in this conference, Josh Jackson from Virginia Tech, Malik Rozier from Miami, and they have comparable numbers, which one's going to make mistakes? That's Virginia Tech, Miami. What about NC State? Uh, big games, a lot of times it comes down to special teams. Usually you think that's Virginia Tech's favorite, but it's Miami's Braxton Berrios, sixth in the nation in punt returns. For now, we'll send it back to you guys. So there we go, Hold Joey. On, what? Yeah, so there we go. So they're trying to preview Clemson NC State, and the two individuals who were previewing uh, the halftime show decided to go off on a tangent about Malik Rozier and Josh Jackson, the quarterbacks, of course, for Miami and Virginia Tech. Um, I've seen better productions of a preview for a halftime show, so that was pretty embarrassing. So that's the best we could do for our Go ACC moment of the week. It was a little bit ridiculous. It didn't exactly happen on the field, but shout-out to the production crew there at Raycom Sports. Not your finest hour, that's for sure. Man, that was something. That, you know... (laughs) Not only the the, the tripping over the words at the beginning, but also the just total lack of focus and understanding of what anybody was talking about. Uh... Good going, Raycom Sports. Go ACC to that. Yeah, uh, not swing bad. and a miss. Swing and a miss. Yeah, swing and a miss. Uh, Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial you tried awarded this week, I will uh, proudly announce to you that that award goes to Georgia Tech special teams units uh, who tried to look like a competent and decently coached unit and just, man, they were almost there, Mike. Uh, they almost didn't give up 12 points on special teams this week. Uh it it was almost it was almost there, Mike. They they tried real hard. Um, you you could tell that it meant a lot to them. They put a lot of heart and soul into that game, but it just was not enough uh, as they ended up costing the Yellow Jackets the game here against Virginia. Uh yeah. Uh, special teams could have been better for Georgia Tech. Um, ended up gift wrapping him some points there. Ended up being the difference in the football game as Virginia wins by four. Um, go or almost like go ACC. I mean, you can make the argument for that as well. But the <laughs> Brian Van Gorder you tried award goes to the Georgia Tech special team. So we'll try to get it next week against Virginia Tech. And your special teams better be playing well against the Hokies because I can say a lot of things about Virginia Tech and how poorly they've played on offense. But the one thing I can't say is 
you know, that their special teams has been bad. They got some dangerous units in special teams uh, with, you know, their field goal unit has been so-so this year, but punt and kick returns have been pretty good, Joey. So strap up for the old Tecmo Bowl. Strap up. Here we go. Oh, dear. Battle of two teams. We have no idea how good they are. So battle of the average coastal teams. Look at that. How two weeks can change a narrative. Mike, we're like a week and a half away from me sitting here thinking that could be like a night game, eight o'clock, you know, probably not like a real college game day type of thing, but you know, a pretty, you know, prime type of uh, viewing experience. And here we are going to be watching that game at 1220 PM on the ACC network. Um, Cause that's never gotten weird. Yeah. God, I'm kind of done with this, Mike. I'm whatever. Let's move on to week 11. Whenever, uh, whenever you're ready. Yep. That sounds good. Bye. Uh, it's, it's been rough. All right, well, until then, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. They can send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Womp womp. Yeah, womp womp. Uh, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, other places, and also not other places. Um, still waiting to hear from anybody who has or has not found our podcast on various platforms. I'm told that we're not on Stitcher or Spotify, um, so for what that's worth. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Uh, Facebook.com slash Basketball Conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. Find our Go ACC Moments of the Week there. Um, we're going to put, of course, that one in. This version of the podcast, we'll put it up there on the Facebook page as well, so you all can take a look at that if, you know, for whatever reason you don't listen to our podcast, which is stupid. You should do that. <laughs> um, and, yeah, find us there. Mike, I, f- last thing before we leave, I think it needs to be noted. Miami, you played a good game. You played a really good, complete game. I was really impressed by what I saw. Yes. I think Mike was as well. Make it clear, Joey. Take, They're good. Take nothing away from Miami. Miami, good team. good team, high ceiling. Need to keep it up next week against Notre Dame. It's going to be a, a similar 8 o'clock ABC, big-time spot. Got college game day coming. Miami, good job. Keep you had a good rolling. week. Keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. Don't give us reason to talk more nonsense about you after next week's game. Keep Fair? it rolling. Keep it rolling. All right. Mike, I'm done with this. You done? Yeah, I'm done with this week. I'm over it. Let's move on yeah. to the next one. Yeah, screw this. I'm out. Mike's been fun. Not really, but uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, buddy. Sounds good. On to the preview. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hopefully, we'll do better, and hopefully, our teams will do better. But until then, go ACC. Go ACC.